Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And wake up, America. It's Friday, January 27th. Good morning and welcome back to the final hour of Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with uh, Glenn Leverance and our producer Gabby uh, this morning. She's in for Sarah, who's a little bit under the weather. Thanks so much for joining us across America and beyond here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's uh, always a blessing uh, to be with you, our Relevant Radio family. Now, today is the memorial of St. Angela Marici, the founder of the Ursulines. Today is also the International Holocaust Remembrance Day, the anniversary of the liberation of the Auschwitz concentration camp back in 1945, something that we can never, ever forget. On Fridays, we always remember the sacred heart of Jesus. On Fridays, it's always a a good idea to uh, meditate on uh, the sacred heart of Jesus, this beautiful uh, devotion uh, that has come to us and to our Catholic faith, uh, to meditate on the incredible heart that our Lord has for every one of us, as well as the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we try to do this every single Friday. We always start uh, every hour, always in prayer, always giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. And there are so many blessings for us to be grateful for. We have to always keep in mind that every single day is a gift and every day is a blessing. Let us begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn, and patroness of Relevant Radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. And every morning, we always invoke the Holy Spirit, uh, the executive producer of this program, when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You can always find us on Twitter and Facebook, at Morning Air Show. If you want to send us your thoughts and email us directly, it's morningair at relevantradio.com. A number, if you want to be part of the program this morning, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Now, after Roe v. Wade was overturned last summer, radical abortion advocates have been saying all types of lies about ectopic pregnancies and miscarriages, claiming that abortion is necessary for women to decrease the maternal mortality rates. Why is the radical left and big abortion promoting all this misinformation on abortion? Is abortion health care? Listen to some of the audio from Edify. Pro-abortionists also claim that abortion is necessary for women due to high rates of maternal mortality. 
Um, what, would you agree with that? What's your reaction to that kind of claim? Uh, it's not true um, based on any science. There are no studies that show that increasing rates of abortion in decrease maternal mortality. In fact, until recently, countries that where abortion was criminalized and prohibited, and I'm thinking in particular of Chile and Ireland, and I think Cyprus had the lowest rates of maternal mortality in the world. For several years consecutively, Ireland had zero maternal mortality at a time when abortion was completely illegal. And that was uh, Dr. Monique uh, Chiro-Webenhorst, who is joining us live this morning for a medical and a uh, spiritual perspective on ectoptic pregnancies and maternal mortality rates for women of color, uh, especially. Dr. Monique uh, has been an OBGYN for over 30 years. She received her MD from Brown University and her MPH from Harvard University. She most recently served as Senior Deputy Assistant Administrator in global health at the U.S. Agency for International Development in Washington, D.C. Dr. Monique is currently a senior public policy fellow at the Notre Dame Center for Ethics and Culture. Good morning, Dr. Monique. Thanks so much for joining us here on Morning Air. So good to be with you for the first time. Yes, thank you so much, Hans. It's, a, it's an honor to be here and I'm very glad to have the opportunity to speak with you. Well, we uh, so much uh, appreciate uh, our good friend uh, Mary Helen Fiorito, who uh, referred us uh, to you and thought that you would be perfect to talk about this uh, issue. Uh, all of these lies that are being told uh, by the other side uh, about uh, ectopic pregnancies and, and miscarriages uh, after Roe was overturned. Uh, can you uh, share with us uh, some perspective on, on this issue? Sure. I think that uh, some of the statements that are being put out there right now um, that are being made or that, for example, a miscarriage is the same as an abortion, the treatment of an ectopic pregnancy is the same as an abortion, and that women won't be able to get care for life-threatening problems during pregnancy. And each of these is untrue. The difference between a miscarriage and ectopic pregnancy and an elective abortion is very clear. In a miscarriage, sadly, the baby has already died, and therefore any treatment of a miscarriage would not be an abortion. Treatment of an ectopic pregnancy requires moving an embryo to save a mother's life so that both lives are not lost. In contrast, even as the CDC itself uh, defines abortion, abortion always has its goal, the killing of an unborn child. And I would also add to, you know, in response to your question, that uh, OBGYNs have been treating women with cancer and other serious diagnoses uh, during pregnancy for more than 100 years now, actually for much longer than that, if you look at the treatment of women. And for most of that time, abortion was completely illegal. No one questioned the need to use reasonable medical judgment to provide the best care for women then, and life-affirming physicians uh, don't do that now either. Uh, do, do you have any sense of just how common um, the, the this situation is? How, how common are ectopic uh, pregnancies uh, and miscarriages? Well, I think that uh, it depends. Um, I, it's a, there's another way that you can look at that statistic, which is that if you can detect a fetal heartbeat um, on ultrasound or uh, with a fetal heart uh, monitor at between around six, you know, as we know that happens between six and eight weeks, the uh, risk of miscarriage is somewhere between 7 and 10%. But if you can detect a fetal heartbeat at 
uh, 10 weeks, the risk of miscarriage drops to about 3%. So while miscarriage is, uh, is it's a devastating complication of pregnancy and women really, really suffer with it, we know that as uh, pregnancy progresses, it becomes you know, less and less common. As far as ectopic pregnancy, we don't keep great uh, statistics on ectopic pregnancy, but uh, it appears to be, rates of ectopic pregnancy appear to be um, increasing in the United States. And the uh, uh, estimated prevalence of ectopic pregnancy is about 1% to 2%. This, because atopic pregnancy is associated with maternal death, close to 3% of all uh, pregnancy-related deaths are due to atopic pregnancy. Can you talk about how it's important for, for uh, people and women specifically to, to understand uh, this difference and the, the, the reality that an ectopic pregnancy is not an abortion? I think it's very important to understand it because as we know, an ectopic pregnancy is not viable. It cannot continue um, because the uh, uh, pregnancy is implanted outside of the uterus. And when ectopic pregnancy does happen, the growth of the unborn child eventually causes the tube to rupture and bleed, often causing catastrophic hemorrhage. Now, uh, because this is, presents a risk to the life of the mother, there's an urgent need to uh, address this problem. And this is not anything that is prevented by current law restricting or banning abortion because, again, abortion and uh, performing abortion and treating a woman for ectopic pregnancy are two entirely different things. With an abortion, there's a moral distinction because the goal of the abortionist is always to destroy that developing human life, to kill a human being. And I think that that goal is something that needs to be kept in mind. Uh, abortion is specifically about uh, uh, killing an unborn baby. And we know that it's a baby because, uh, you know, science is on our side. The, the ultrasounds uh, clearly uh, show the humanity of, of, of the little baby inside the womb. Yes, and I think that's important to understand because the unborn child is a human being. You also will hear misinformation stating, well, it's not really a human being, it's not human life. To which I say, well, what kind of life is it? Is, is this, is this uh, child, is it going to grow up to be a dog? Is it going to grow up to be a salamander? I mean, what, what kind of life is this? This is a human being. They, he or she is a member of the human family. They're a unique living being with human DNA, which is distinct from that of his or her parent. And so, therefore, abortion kills a human being. And again, getting back to that moral distinction, um, we can't say that these are the same thing. Another thing that people often forget in this is that women who undergo uh, miscarriage, who suffer from miscarriages having an ectopic pregnancy, it's a terrible thing to say to them, well, actually, no, you had an abortion. And it, it's one of the, the, something that really bothers me about this. There's never been in the many, many, many years that obstetricians have been caring for women, no one has ever told a woman who had a miscarriage, oh, well, actually, you had an abortion. 
Absolutely uh, uh, unbelievable. I want to bring in our listeners. Um, if you have any thoughts or questions on ectopic pregnancies and uh, maternal mortality rates, uh, we're taking your calls for Dr. Monique uh, Chereau Wobbenhorst at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Um, Dr. Monique, why do you suppose uh, that the, the radical left and the pro-abortion forces uh, have been so intent on on all this misinformation, especially uh, since last summer, since Roe was overturned? Well, I think the timing of misinformation is very indicative of the fact that these are not problems. These are manufactured, you know, concerns and problems. I think that in an all-out attempt to try to fight back against reasonable, uh, what we would say moral restrictions on abortion, uh, to fight back against states which are uh, restricting and banning abortion, there is, uh, sadly, I think, a desire on the part of uh, some people to sow fear and doubt into the minds of women in an effort to influence their thinking around the topic of abortion. And this is actually very problematic because for some women, it may result in them being confused about what kind of pregnancy care is appropriate, what's not appropriate, and lead to delays in care. Dr. Monique, can you talk a little bit about how legalizing abortion back in 1973, and obviously with Roe being overturned, the battle now goes back to the state, so the battle is far from over. But over all these years, over all these decades, it has harmed minority communities, especially uh, black women. Yes, I think abortion has devastated minority communities. The, the, the sort of empty promises of economic empowerment and better health and a healthier families have been completely false. Uh, after Roe v. Wade, the number of abortions in African-American women more than tripled in 20 years. And it's interesting to note that subsequently the number of births to black women reached its peak back in 1991 has declined ever since then. Black women have the highest rates of preterm birth. It's not only the second leading cause of infant morbidity and mortality, it's a source of incredible emotional pain and stress for families. Uh, and also I think that abortion has been associated in uh, both uh, minority and majority communities with um, the breakdown of the family because um, the responsibility of raising a child became solely that of a woman. And if you look at the 17 million unborn African-Americans who've been aborted in the United States, which is more than the population of the countries of Senegal and Cambodia, respectively, that's an almost unfathomable loss of uh, human beings uh, to, to our community. Yeah, the numbers are absolutely uh, staggering. Most people have no idea that 17 million uh, unborn black babies have perished uh, since uh, Roe v. Wade back in 1973. I remember a few years ago uh, speaking uh, to uh, the niece of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Dr. Elvita King, uh, who who told me that as she traveled across the country, uh, she would go into some of these major cities and and go on streets uh, named after uh, Martin Luther King. Uh, And that's where Planned Parenthood would have uh, their abortion clinics, very strategic going after the black community. Yes, I think that, you know, there's there's a lot of discussion as to whether uh, there's uh, targeting and, and some people will use terms like genocide. Um, other people will say it's just an effective business, man, um, business strategy. But, you know, if you think about this, 
38% of all abortions are performed in Af African-American women, even though African-Americans are only 13.4%, 14% of the U.S. population, and black women are only 13.7% of the total U.S. population. One way to look, is, look at this is if you randomly selected American women, 15%, about 15, 100 American women, 15 would be black and about 50 would be white. But if you selected 100 American women who'd undergone abortion, about 38 would be black, 33 would be white, 21 would be Hispanic, and seven would be other. So this is a significant disparity, and it hints at something that I think you know you may be getting at, which is what are, what are, what's the basis of abortion? Where did this start? Who were the early supporters? When you look at them, they clearly had racist and eugenic motivations um, in terms of why they were supporting uh, legal, legalization of abortion. We're joined this morning by Dr. Monique uh, Chirot-Webbenhorst, uh, uh, OBGYN for over 30 years and a senior public policy fellow at the Notre Dame Center for Ethics and Culture. Uh, Dr. Monique, we have a call. Uh, Christina is joining us this morning uh, from Queens, New York. Good morning, Christina. You're on with uh, Dr. Monique. Good morning. My question was um, many about 20 so 25 years ago or so, I had several miscarriages and then about I would say um, both of them were about 15 uh, or so. And I remember um, going in for the procedure after, um, to, after what they needed to do, after I was told I had mis uh, miscarriage. And I remember the doctor giving me a form saying that I, I was having an abortion. And I remember being so distraught and saying, no, I wouldn't sign this if there's any chance that the baby's alive. Of course, I'm going to continue the pregnancy. And they're like, no, 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 the baby's not alive. It's just a medical procedure, and that's what we call it. So I wanted to understand what the doctor meant by never being told that you'll never have abortion. Because is it a medical, is it just a medical terminology? Or I think that's a great question, and I really appreciate you asking that question because sometimes physicians can get so caught up in the terminology. So when uh, you have a situation where an unborn child has died, we call that a spontaneous abortion. Um, when you have a situation where you have a living child that there is intent to kill this living child, that's an induced abortion. And so I think what this relates to is how, for example, medical terminology um, has been phrased and how it's coded in terms of describing procedures. So the spontaneous abortion is really a miscarriage, and that has led, actually, is why I'm happy that you're asking the question, it's led to a lot of questions in women's minds, you know, do I have it or not? But it's, this is simply medical terminology. When you have a uh, uh, fetus that is sadly demised, um, you, and you do that procedure, that uh, situation is called treatment of spontaneous abortion. Does that make sense? I hope that that helps, uh, which reminds me, uh, is it true, Dr. Monique, that in uh, New York City, which includes uh, Queens, more uh, black babies are aborted uh, than born? Yes, actually, so this data goes back several years, I believe it's 2016 or 2017, where it was true that more abortions occurred in uh, uh, African-American women than live births occurred um, since that time, the number of uh, live births has increased slightly and the number of um, abortions has decreased slightly. But it's very close. It's very close. And that's a very sad and disturbing trend. 
that, again, has major implications for populations of African-Americans in the United States. Uh, Dr. Monique, as a longtime OBGYN and obviously an expert uh, in this area, uh, just your thoughts on what women really need. I think what women really need is quality care, compassionate health care professionals, support, and better health education. You know, most women who get, preg- who get pregnant and then seek abortion, this question has been studied pretty carefully, say, I just don't have support. I have no one to walk with me through this pregnancy. And the Sisters for Life have done an excellent job um, sort of thinking about this and thinking about how, as well as other uh, pregnancy resource centers. Women need a vision for their future and, uh, you know, a future and a hope. Um, and and women, young women and men need to do, to um, learn sexual risk avoidance education. We need to encourage men to step up and take responsibility. And finally, the pro-life movement needs to continue to grow and spread at every level because of the message of healing and hope and restoration. It's a message to women and men that, yes, you can do this. You can be a mother, be a father. Motherhood and fatherhood are beautiful. Family are beautiful. Life is beautiful. Yes, it's about ending abortion as a moral and social evil, but it's even more about a vision of human flourishing and building a civilization of love, as we like to say at the Center for Ethics and Culture. And then finally, I just want to add, Monday of last week was Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday, and a civilization of love, building a civilization of love is like building the beloved community he described, and that's the goal. Every human being will be welcomed in life, regardless of your race or ethnicity, uh, whether you're male or female, and protected by law from conception to natural death. Well, I so much appreciate uh, your perspective. Uh, We have a lot of work to do uh, to change hearts and minds and to make abortion unthinkable. Uh, Dr. Monique, uh, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you so much for having me, OBGYN Dr. Monique Chirot-Wobbenhorst, Senior Public Policy Fellow at the Notre Dame Center for Ethics and Culture. We need to take a short break. When we come back, Catholic speaker and author Gary Zimick will tell us why the sacraments matter and are the best way to deepen our relationship with Jesus. And a little bit later in the show, we're going to talk football and faith. Former NFL tight end and current Denver Broncos assistant coach Ben Steele will preview this weekend's NFL Conference Championship game. So stay with us. There's much more to come as Morning Air continues here on this Friday on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This is Morning Air with John Morales, Sarah Tafoya, and Glenn Leverett on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales. It's good to be with you. Thanks so much for tuning in to Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app here on this Friday morning. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life is from Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Our Lord Jesus Christ promised before he ascended into heaven that he would be with us always. Jesus is always present to us now and forever. He has no reason to change because he is God in the flesh. He cannot change. Even though we live in a world that's always changing and eventually will pass away, the word made flesh, Jesus the Lord, will never change. And he is always with us 
through the Holy Spirit, especially in the Holy Eucharist, the sacrament of love. And we always pray with great confidence that prayer from the Divine Mercy Chaplet, Jesus, I trust in you. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Morning Air Show. Our email, if you want to share your thoughts directly, morningair at relevantradio.com. And our number, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149. Now, how many of you remember the old Baltimore Catechism that taught that a sacrament is an outward sign instituted by Christ to give Grace. I still have one of those old Baltimore catechisms. Now, but have you ever run into someone who says uh, the church places way too much emphasis on the sacraments and too little emphasis on a personal relationship with Jesus? This is a misunderstanding of what a sacrament is and the truth that the sacraments are the best way to deepen our relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. And keep in mind, it was Jesus himself who established the seven sacraments. Joining us live for much more perspective from New Jersey is our longtime Morning Air contributor, Gary Zimick, with much more on why the sacraments matter. Gary's a best-selling author, speaker, and radio host. His latest book, Let Go of Your Fear, Choosing to Trust Jesus in Life's Stormy Times. You can sign up for his daily email reflections and arrange to bring him to your parish by visiting his website, followingthetruth.com. Good morning, Brother Gary. Thanks so much uh, for joining us uh, once again. It is uh, always a joy uh, to be with you. John, it's always my pleasure, brother. Thank you so much for having me on again to talk about the sacraments. I'm excited about this. Well, you know, when I, I saw the topic that we were going to talk about, I immediately yeah. went into my old Baltimore catechism, and, yeah. you know, the teaching is very clear uh, about right. what a sacrament is. Explain to us from your uh, perspective, why do the sacraments matter? You know, to, to put it simply, John, that, that description is great, by the way. I love some of the things in the Baltimore Catechism. They're so clear, concise, and to the point. The sacraments were instituted by Christ. They're visible signs which give grace, and they are the primary way which we receive grace, that supernatural help from the Lord through His Church. And, you know, John, I, I speak a lot about having a personal relationship with Jesus for many years. I don't think I had one. I didn't know him. I didn't speak to him. He wasn't real to me. It is absolutely critical that Catholics have a personal relationship with Jesus, meaning that we talk to him as a person. But I think sometimes, and you know what you said at the beginning, this is something I ran into recently. I'm leading a parish mission at a parish, a give up worry for Lent parish mission. And I was talking to somebody from the parish, somebody who works at the church who said, I think the Church places too much emphasis on the sacraments and not enough on a personal relationship. And it's almost like we get, in some cases, this false either-or mentality. Either you have a personal relationship with Jesus, or you just received the sacraments. And in reality, John, and this is what I've discovered, it's been a long process, but it's really a both-end situation. In order to have a personal relationship with Jesus, to the fullest extent possible, we need to encounter him in the sacraments, because that's a real meeting between me and Jesus, and they're so important. But in order to really appreciate the sacraments, this is what I've learned, you need to understand the idea of having a personal relationship with Christ, to be able to talk to him every day. And if you want to get to know him, what better way than to encounter him in the sacraments. 
I am totally with you 100%. You know, it's not either or, it's both and. Uh, we need to to really know the Lord uh, for, at the heart level uh, and, and have that personal relationship. In fact, tomorrow is is the, the Feast of St. Thomas Aquinas, who, who once said, okay. and I remember this quote, uh, he, he said that the essence of the spiritual life is friendship with God. Well, we yeah. need to have friendship with uh, Jesus, who is God, and, and have that relationship. But he, he gave us, he himself gave us uh, the beauty of these sacraments, uh, these outward signs, uh, full of grace uh, for every one of us. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, a friendship with someone, if you want to have a friendship with someone, you don't want to just talk to them on the phone or text them all the time. You like to encounter them in person. You know, I can certainly, and I I talked to Jesus earlier, spiritually, he's present with me right now as we speak, he's with you. But as soon as we get done this interview, I'm headed to daily mass because I want to encounter that real presence of Christ. It's not enough for me to have just a spiritual encounter with him. I want to encounter him body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. So it's such a blessing for us as Catholics to have these sacraments to help us. And you know what? We don't have to fully understand how the sacraments work and how the grace is distributed and how I come to know more Jesus more when I receive him in the Eucharist. It happens. That's what the Church teaches. So between me talking to him, having a relationship with him, praying, reading Scripture, and the sacraments, I can one day at a time get to know the Lord intimately, as my best friend. And Gary, uh, as you alluded earlier, it is possible uh, uh, to receive the sacraments and kind of go through the motions, you know, day after day, year after year, and not have that intimate, personal relationship uh, with our Lord uh, that our faith teaches. It is, and I did it for many years. You know, I have 12 years of Catholic education, and I thank God for that. But it took me a while to understand that it is important for me to have a relationship with Jesus and to speak with him. And you know what, John, when I was growing up, there was no relevant radio, but what you were doing at relevant radio, you're helping the listeners to establish that, that personal relationship to understand not just what the church teaches, not just the importance of the sacraments, but the importance of having a conversation with the Lord every day. And when you put that all together, that is a great way to live our lives and to grow closer to the Lord and, and really make it to heaven one day. Well, in, in addition to uh, receiving uh, the sacraments, uh, especially the Holy Eucharist and the, the Sacrament of Confession, what other uh, steps uh, do you recommend that we should take in, in getting uh, to know uh, Jesus better, to really have that connection, that, that intimate, personal relationship uh, with our Lord Jesus Christ, as, our, as some of our Protestant evangelical friends uh, yeah. describe? Yeah, I, I think the, the main thing is to have that conversation with him every, every day, to speak with him in prayer, even if it's saying, Lord, I want to know you better, or I don't feel you're real enough. Lord, can you reveal yourself to me? It's a great conversation to have. And then in addition to that, read a little bit of Scripture every day. I think the Gospels are the best way, that's what the Church teaches, the best way to know about Jesus and to get to know him by reading his word in the gospel. And then, you know, you can turn that into prayer, especially if something comes up in the gospel passage, maybe like read the daily mass readings, read the gospel from daily mass, and then ask Jesus about it. Have a conversation with him. Lord, I don't really understand what you meant when you talked about the mustard seed. What, what exactly is that? Can you help me? And, you know, by having that conversation, eventually you can, you're going to be led into a deeper understanding and a a deeper friendship with the Lord. But John, I would just say it does take time. And this is something I and everybody else who's serious about getting to know Christ 
we're going to be working on this for the rest of our lives. And that's okay. As long as every day we make some attempt to get to know Jesus better, he's going to answer that prayer, John. If I come to him and say, Lord, I want to get to know you better, that's a prayer he is absolutely going to answer. Uh, without a doubt. Uh, our salvation is not a sprint. It's a marathon. We're in it uh, for the right. long, long race. You know how much I love the Word of God. I started this segment with our power scripture the, from the playbook of life, as I like to call it. Um, every single day, uh, we share that with our with our listeners. I ran across a, a quote uh, from uh, St. John Paul uh, II, uh, John Paul the Great, uh, talking about the Bible, in which he said, don't just read the scriptures, but pray them as if you wrote them. <laughs> that wow. really touched my heart. Yeah, that's a, that's a great message. Earlier today, I was reading some of the Psalms, and, you know, throughout the Psalms, yeah, you know, I talk a lot about overcoming anxiety. It's something I struggle with it, uh, personally. Throughout the Psalms, we hear that message repeatedly, Lord, where are you? How long, Lord? That's a great prayer. If we make that prayer our own, that's the prayer of somebody with faith, somebody who believes that God will answer. So it's good to cry out. It's good to to make those scriptures our own as if we wrote them. And that's the basis for a conversation, you know, and you put that together with the sacraments, John, we are going to be in a great place with our Lord and get to know him better every day. Without a doubt. Uh, reading a scripture, even if it's just a, a little bit uh, of the Gospels every single day, getting that spiritual food, and then receiving him, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Holy Eucharist. Uh, you, you can't go wrong with that formula to really deepen one's relationship with our Lord. Really. And, and also one other thing that just popped into my head, obviously an important one, adoration. Adoration of our Lord, just sitting there. You don't even need to know what to say. Just spend time with him. And, and I've learned that that has an effect as well. So you know, the more you do, um, the more you do, the more you can avail yourself of the sacraments, including confession, you know, sacrament of confession. I, I love going to confession frequently because that also is an encounter with Jesus. He's, uh, he's, he's active in this, all of the sacraments. And when I go to confession and I confess my sins to a priest, I'm confessing to Jesus. I'm encountering Jesus. The more you encounter him, the more you get to know him. It's a beautiful thing. I so much uh, appreciate uh, your encouragement. Uh, it's not either or, it's both and. It's the Word of God and our beautiful sacraments uh, in our Catholic faith. Uh, thanks so much, uh, as always, Gary. I really appreciate you being with us. My pleasure, John. I'm going to remember you and all the listeners when I go to daily Mass right now. God bless you. Thank you. Keep me in your prayers. And, of course, you can learn much more about Gary's work and invite him to your area at followingthetruth.com. We need to take a, a short break when we come back. Uh, are you ready for some football and faith? Former NFL tight end and current Denver Broncos assistant coach Ben Steele will be with us to preview this weekend's NFC and AFC championship games. So stay with us on this Friday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Final play, it looks like barring a penalty. Prescott over the middle of the turpin. Gets smoked right away, and that'll do it. The 49ers back to the championship game.
And that was the San Francisco 49ers beating the Dallas Cowboys to advance to the NFC title game as heard on Fox. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us on this Friday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. We're talking some football and faith here in the final moments of the show here on this Friday. As you know, the NFL postseason uh, continues this Sunday with the AFC and NFC championship games. The winners will meet in Super Bowl 57 on February 12th in Glendale, Arizona. Now, the AFC uh, title game is uh, a a game in which the Cincinnati Bengals will be squaring off with the Chiefs in Kansas City. Joe Burrows and the Bengals are trying to get to consecutive Super Bowls as heard on CBS. Facing pressure, goes over the top, wide open is Chase, and he splits the defenders for the touchdown to the end zone. Open, wide open, Hurst hauls it in for another Cincinnati touchdown. Meanwhile, uh, Patrick Mahomes and uh, the Chiefs are making their fifth straight appearance in the AFC title game after beating the Jaguars as heard on NBC. And Mahomes steps up, throws to the back, touchdown! Marquez Valdez Scantling! Off your right foot in the first half, then you get hurt. And you come back and you throw a jump pass off your left foot in the second half. But one more time, it's Kansas City playing for the AFC Championship. Meanwhile, in the NFC, it's a battle between the top two seeds, the San Francisco 49ers and the Philadelphia Eagles. The Niners are on a roll. They've won 12 straight to reach the title game. The Eagles are coming off an impressive 38-7 route of the Giants as heard on Fox. Second and goal. A juggle of the snap. Hurts found it, and there's the end zone ahead for another Philadelphia touchdown. Philadelphia is going to head to the NFC Championship game for the first time since their Super Bowl winning season. They sweep the Giants in three games this year. They've beaten them 10 games in a row here in Philadelphia, and they left no questions unanswered tonight. Joining us uh, live this morning for much more on this weekend's NFL Conference Championship Games, as well as the power of prayer, is Ben Steele, a former NFL tight end who played with six different teams, including the Green Bay Packers. Ben served as tight ends coach with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, offensive assistant with the Atlanta Falcons, and most recently as an offensive line coach with the Minnesota Vikings. And he's currently an assistant offensive coach with the Denver Broncos. Good morning, Coach. Steele, great to be with you once again. Thanks so much uh, for joining us uh, here in anticipation of this big uh, conference championship uh, weekend. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me on. Well, Coach, but before we, we talk about the, the conference title games this weekend, uh, from uh, a former uh, player and a football coach perspective, what was uh, your reaction when you saw what happened uh, to uh, Bill Safety, Damar Hamlin, on Monday Night Football back uh, earlier this month on January 2nd that absolutely shocked the sports world? Yeah, such a, such a scary moment for, for a lot of, uh, you know, different reasons the just the unknown of what you know exactly happened to him number one um you know obviously safety and and uh you know people player and uh 
health are, are number one priority. And when you see something like that happen, it it definitely, um, you know, kind of puts things in perspective uh, to a degree. And, you know, we, our players, you know, we were in meetings the next morning for, for our last game and, and um, it was kind of hard to get focused. And so we, we had to kind of recalibrate what, what that meant to us. And um, it was, it was a moment that was, was eye opening for sure. And, you know, the awesome part about that was, um, you know, for so many different things, they've been trying to take God out of our schools and out of, you know, our media and out of everything else. And so that moment was was so awesome to see people come together in um, their faith and, you know, on ESPN and all the national coverages you had people praying and, you know, wishing the best for, for DeMar and, you know, the Bills and their families. So that part of it was so, was so uh, reassuring and, and just beautiful to see in, in the sports world. So, um, but just glad that he was able to recover and, you know, hope he continues to get healthy. But yeah, that was a definite scary moment in the sports world. No question. Uh, were you surprised uh, to see as, as so many NFL players and even members of the media along, of course, with millions and millions of fans across our nation, all praying for DeMar Hamlin? I was definitely not surprised um, at all because I think what kind of doesn't get as much focus is, is how much prayer and um, goes on that, you know, just doesn't get covered for whatever reason. But, you know, we, we have a prayer group. We prayed after every single practice and, um, and, you know, before games and we obviously there's, there's a, a Bible studies that go on with every NFL team throughout the, the league. So, it's yeah. I'm definitely not surprised. Just happy that it got more exposure for for um, the entire nation and world to see. Uh, coach Dale, I want you to uh, hear former coach and Super Bowl champion Tony Dungy, who spoke about Demar and prayer at the 50th March for Life in Washington D.C. just last Friday. Three weeks ago, everybody on that field was praying. And it continued. The next week, at every stadium in the NFL, teams got together and prayed, and it was amazing. Well, those prayers were answered. DeMar's recovering now. He's home. He's been released from the hospital. But what's the lesson in that? You know, an unbelievable thing happened that night, a professional football game with millions of dollars of ticket money and advertising money on the line. That game was canceled. Why? because a life was at stake. And people wanted to see that life saved. Even people who aren't necessarily religious got together and called on God. Well, that should be encouraging to us because that's exactly why we're here today. Coach Steele, uh, your, your thoughts, powerful words uh, from Coach Dungy. Yeah, how awesome. How awesome was that? Gives me uh, goosebumps hearing it um, again. I, I, I heard him uh, speak that, 
earlier, and and he's obviously uh, very vocal about his about his faith and uh, and um, it's just it's awesome for so many different reasons that um, I think we can all look up to as far as not being afraid to speak out and be vocal and transparent with with our faith to others. It's there's obviously as so much power as you as as uh, Coach Dungey was talking about, and I mean, the power in, in, in prayer was definitely um, something that we can see happen uh, in real time with with how Demar's um, you know recovery has began, and every single person in that stadium that night, and millions and millions across the country at the same time were. We're lifting him up, so that was so so uh, humbling, and just gives you goosebumps hearing Coach talk about it. Well, I know it's a very emotional uh, topic, Coach. Uh, let's talk about uh, on the field. Let's talk about the uh, NFL Conference Championship games that will be taking place uh, this Sunday in the NFC title game. It'll be the Niners and the Eagles, the top two teams in the NFC. Your thoughts? Yeah, these both of these conference championships are are so interesting to me. Um, and it's really hard to pick a team that I think is going to, you know, prevail, but, um, I'm just excited to see the games themselves, but with the 49ers and the Eagles, um, I mean, what a story Brock Purdy has been, you know, Mr. Irrelevant last pick of the, of the draft steps in for Jimmy Garoppolo. And, and he's been, uh, he's been on fire and, and led the team, to victories and um, you know, for to see him play in this and potentially play in the Super Bowl um, is going to be just an awesome thing to see. But I think their run game is what kind of gives them their edge because they've got Christian McCaffrey and they can manage Brock Purdy with their play action and you know their keeper and and, and boot uh, game that kind of gives the 49ers the edge. But, man, this is going to be a great contest. No question. And in the AFC Championship game, it'll be the Chiefs and Bengals. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs have been there before five straight AFC title games. But remember that the, the Bengals uh, uh, beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead uh, just last year in the AFC title game. So uh, a lot of storylines. Yeah, and I've heard the Bengals have changed the uh, – the uh, stadium to Burrowhead just because he is three and zero against Patrick Mahomes and and uh, the Chiefs, but um, man, just being in the uh, AFC West, I know how good the the Chiefs are and Patrick Mahomes. Um, so that one to me, I think I think that uh, it's going to be tough to beat them, you know, for the fourth consecutive time and in uh in Burrow's career but um yeah I, I kind of give the Chiefs the home field advantage in this one I know it hasn't been effective for them in the past but um yeah I, I hate to see uh a rivalry uh uh win but I think the Chiefs got the edge just with the Mahomes magic he's got narrowhead provided uh, that Mahomes uh, sprained ankle uh, comes through for him. Uh, so you're, you're picking uh, the Chiefs and the Niners to go to Super Bowl 57? It's going to be a rematch, I think. But, man, I, 
I can see it go either way as well, but that's that's what I'm going to go stick with. Coach Steele, thank you so much. Really appreciate your perspective. Uh, thanks for being with us. Man, thank you so much for having me on. You guys have a blessed day. You too. And now it's time for another edition of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called A Generous Helping of Love. A son took his father to a restaurant to enjoy a delicious dinner. Now his father was quite old and a little weak as well. While eating food, occasionally fell on his shirt and pants. The other guests watched the old man with their faces contorted in a bit of disgust, but the son remained calm. After they both finished eating, the son quietly helped his father and took him to the restroom. He helped clean food from his face and attempted to wash some stains from his clothing, combed his hair and put his glasses on straight. As they left the restroom, a deep silence reigned in the restaurant. The son paid the bill, and just before they left, a man, also up there in years, got up and asked the old man's son, you think you left something here? The young man replied, I don't believe so. And the stranger said, You indeed did. You left a lesson here for every son and a hope for every father. The whole restaurant was so quiet you could hear a pin drop. One of the greatest honors that exists is being able to take care of those who've taken care of us. Our parents and all those elders who sacrificed their lives with all their time, money, and effort for us deserve our utmost respect. Isaiah 46.4, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. As always, thanks so much, Glenn. Uh, Go to Mass this Sunday and try to get to Daily Mass if you can and pray the Family Rosary Across America with Father Rocky, 7 p.m. Central tonight and every night of the week here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. That'll do it for this Friday edition of Morning Air. For Glenn Leverance, producers Gabby Burke, Sarah Tafoya, our entire Morning Air team, I'm John Morales. Thanks for joining us. Let your light shine before all. God bless America. We'll see you Monday on the next Morning Air. Have a great weekend, folks. The Patrick Madrid Show is straight ahead.